Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to The Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast, Fright Fest Preview Series. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Graham Skipper. Hello, Graham. Hello, thanks for having me on. You're very welcome, you're very welcome. Now, we've not just come on to have a chat about just generally, you know, being on Skype. We've come to talk about a movie. Do you want to tell us what it is? Sure. Um, yeah, my film is called Sequence Break. Uh, it's my directorial debut. Congratulations. Uh, thank you, thank you. I'm really, uh, really, really excited. Uh, yeah, the film uh, tells the story of Oz played by Chase Williamson of John Dies at the End fame, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, plays a video arcade repair technician uh, in a dying arcade shop. Um, and on the same day as a mysterious, beautiful young woman enters his life, uh, an equally mysterious, possibly sinister arcade machine um, also enters his life. Uh, and reality begins to fracture, and hallucinations and Cronenbergian mutations start to take over his life as he starts to uh, go down the proverbial rabbit hole of what's real and what isn't, and how is he going to manage all of this chaos that has now entered his life. Now, I'm sure that people listening after that description, their minds zinging. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> no, definitely. I've, I've seen the film, and my mind is still zinging. Um, <laughs> I think, I think the message I gave to Julian, who's looking after things at the, on the UK end, I said, I'm not sure that I, I properly understood it, but I can't stop thinking about it. So I think that's, that's, a, that's definitely a compliment to a movie. Yes. In my, in thanks, my mind. That's, that's exactly what we wanted. Exactly. So, so for that, you, you wrote and directed this. So let's, let's start with the script first. Um, sure. Where, where are you considering... I mean, the term sequence break is means something in reality, doesn't it? We, we, it does mean something. It does, yeah. So basically, uh, to sequence break a game means that you uh, do something either through manipulating the code of the game or through playing it in such a way uh, to where you're able to progress through the game unnaturally or even beat the game unnaturally. Um, so, so sort of a good, very, very basic example would be, you know how in Super Mario Brothers in level 2... Uh, in the, the underground, the, the green level. Right. You can um, 
at a certain point, you can jump up and hit the bricks at the very, 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 very top of the screen and jump up and then just run all the way across the roof of it and basically bypass the whole level by doing that. That is kind of a way of sequence breaking. You know, somebody discovered that and went, oh, I can do this, and it's within the rules of the game, but I'm able to to uh, to exploit this for my own gain. Um, and so it's funny, you know, I have a, a Twitter alert for the word sequence break, um, and, and <laughs> there are so many of them that are all um, these communities of people that go through, uh, you know, I mean, thousands of games and try to find ways to, uh, to sequence break them in different ways. Uh, it's really... Yeah, it's a whole thing. Um, yeah, the the whole the, the script itself basically came about um, uh, years and years ago. I read about an urban legend online uh, about a, a supposed killer video game called okay. Police. Um, and in this well, urban legend, so so what was it called, Graham? It's called Polybius. Okay, uh, Polybius. And 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 the basic story of it is that. In the 1980s, in Portland, Oregon, of all places, um, <laughs> a uh, an arcade machine appeared in a couple of shops, and people that played it would report that they were feeling nauseous or that they would have hallucinations. Some of them had seizures, and you know, supposedly a couple of people died. And then, you know, the the story sort of goes on that you know there were men in black, you know, these shady government operatives that would come and read what the game had, you know, could tell them about who had played it, and it was some big mind control thing. It's, it's, um, the, perf- it's the perfect urban legend, though. <laughs> oh, it's great. And and I just remember it was really captivating to me. Um, and when I, I, you know, and I started thinking, you know, this was well before I was making movies, I started thinking this would make a great movie. Um, but no matter what I wrote, and I actually wrote a couple of, of drafts of different scripts, which I've been trying to find, and I don't know, they may be lost to time now. Um, but, but none of them ever really, you know, hit exactly what it needed to be. You know, they, there was something that just wasn't quite working about them. Hmm. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, uh, I was revisiting all of Cronenberg's work. And in particular, I revisited Videodrome for the first time in, I mean, like a decade. You know, I hadn't watched it in, in a really long time. And it just sort of struck me two things that I, I wanted to do with the film uh, or, or with this story. That one of the things was it needed to be uh, a body horror film. Mm-hmm. That you know, if you're talking about something uh, electronic that is uh, messing with someone's mind, um, that, that the best way to tell that is through the lens of body horror. And then I also realized that I was sort of looking at it the wrong way and that it didn't need to be this, you know, movie about a video game, but more specifically a movie about a human and how they're affected by this video game. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a subtle difference, but I think it's an important one. And No, no, so, without yeah, a doubt, without a doubt, yeah. You know, and, and so I, I wrote, um, so basically I focused on, on this love story. And, and really, you know, for me, Sequence Break is, at its heart, it's a love story between Oz and this girl, Tess, who's played by Fabian Therese, who's just excellent in the film. And, um, and, she, and she's, also, you know, she's also alumni of John Dars at the end as well, isn't she? She is. Yeah, they, that's how they both met, and um, they're, they're both actual, very close friends in real life. Okay. Uh, and so it was such a pleasure to have the both of them in the film, because I think that really helped you know, give them that, that very real chemistry uh, that, that, to me, is, is palpable on screen. But but yeah, that that's pretty much how the you know how the the script came about, um, uh, and and you know, 
I, I had a dream about a, a melting skull, and then all of a sudden I got a movie with it. <laughs> I'm still the best of us, Graham. I'm still the best of us. <laughs> <laughs> right. But then, so there's one thing. There's one thing thinking. Right. Okay. I know which way to tell this story, and and and, and I've had a dream, and this will be a key point in the movie. But also the idea, and, and this is where I think the fun is in watching your film, is the fact that your your the senses. I am watching a film about two people who are falling in love, but I don't know what's happening to make that happen because this is this other thing. It's like the love story is almost like your subplot to to this melding of man and machine, I suppose. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, for me, what's always interesting, you know, about about cinema is that you, you know, basically have somebody that's going through a real-life event and then all of a sudden you throw some huge curveball at them and you see how they react to it, mm. you know? And so for me, you know, you know, the, the real-life event, you know, is, is that you... You have Oz, and he's exploring this new relationship, you know, with with Tess, and and then also there, there's all sorts of other things that are going on, you know. He's struggling with his job, you know, and and um, you know, there's all those all sorts of elements of that. But then you throw in this curveball of here is you know this this potentially sentient arcade game mm. um, that is alluring and evocative and is pulling him away from those other things that he's trying to focus on. Um, and, you know, so it's sort of, uh, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I guess I, I see exactly what you're saying. And I think you're right. I think that, you know, that's, that's what's great about horror movies, you know, is they're just regular people that are going through very, uh, you know, regular real world things. And then something fucking terrible happens to them. And uh, hopefully we care about those people enough to care what happens to them when they uh, when the terrible thing occurs. Yeah, because there's this uh, just, just 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 to sort of expand on on the two the two main characters is that there's a, there's a lovely there's a and this is quite I guess this is quite a minor moment in terms of everything else that goes on in the film. But when in that early part where that relationship is burgeoning, um, and he says. You're definitely the prettiest girl who's ever kissed me, and it's yeah. and it's a lovely it's it's just a lovely moment, you know. It is it gives you a sense of who they, it gives you some sense of who they both are, and and Thanks. like and like you say, it also gives us that reason to care at that point. Thanks. Yeah, I mean that was really important to me. You know, we we spent a lot of time. Um, you know, before the film, uh, or before we started shooting, you know, you know, me and Chase and Fabi really working together um, to try to to make sure that we had a a believable relationship there. Because mm. um, that that just that, that that really is so important to me. You know, I, I you know, it's sort of like I, I think in terms of horror, especially, um, you know, like you look at something like like Cronenberg's The Fly, right? Like yeah. that movie wouldn't work without the chemistry between Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. Of course. You know, like, like, and that's, that's the anchor of that film. Um, you know, even, uh, you know, even like Videodrome is as weird as it is. Uh, you know, there's, you know, you got James Woods and Debbie Harry and sure it's a weird fucked up relationship that they have, but, but you believe that these two people would be attracted to each other and, and you believe those moments as then, you know, reality starts to bend. Um, 
And I think that, you know, like across the horror genre, you know, you can really tell the films that I think have staying power by, by the characters. And, you know, there's, um, it, it's funny, you know, I, I've been reading all of these, all of these, not, not to get too off topic, but I've been reading all of these articles about, oh, you know, finally we're getting good horror, you know, like, um, it was, I guess, in the wake of, like, The Witch and The Babadook, you know, and, and people are saying, oh, now people are taking horror seriously, and and we're getting good horror that, you know, with characters that we believe. And I'm going, well, I don't know that I agree with that. I think that horror has always had, um, you know, these these characters that we that we believe and that we love, and that's why horror becomes effective. Um, so anyway, yeah, I... I no, 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 I totally agree. I think there's... there's... There's been two. There's literally been one wave called Death Wave, which I think was mm-hmm. was part of the Babadook and the and the Witch, and then most recently, we were told we we're in a post horror world, with right. with it comes in the night and a ghost story, and you kind yeah. of like basically it sounds to me a lot of the times that it, and obviously we're we're previewing this ahead of Fright Fest, which is you know a 17 year old horror festival, so ho- horror's not 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 a new phenomenon, and, no. and obviously 17 years is barely touching the surface. But, but also, it's almost like when, when people who wouldn't consider themselves horror fans like a film, they, they go, oh, it mustn't be horror then because, because it's got good characters. And, and, all, and all, yeah. all, all those horror fans are going, yeah. what? What are you saying? Well, well, it's like I got into an argument with somebody one time about Silence of the Lambs where, where you know, they, were, they were calling it a thriller. You know? And I said, oh, come on, it's a horror movie. I, I think it had started because I had said, you know, I said, whenever a horror movie gets nominated for an Oscar, all of a sudden it becomes a, a psychological thriller. You know, yeah. it, it somehow you know magically loses that moniker. And, you know, I'm going, no, Sounds of the Lambs is a fucking horror movie, man. It's about a, a serial killer that skins people alive, and you know, and a, a cannibal that escapes from a you know fucking mental facility. And I mean, it's terrifying. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, you know, I. Throughout my career as an actor, you know, and, and the now as a director, what's always so important to me is to take horror seriously and mm. to take the plot lines seriously. Now, that doesn't mean they can't be fun, but, like, Bruce Campbell approaches Ash in Evil Dead 2 100% seriously, and that is why it's funny, you know. Um, when no, when I, we did... I've, I've had this conversation a lot with, with, with a few of the filmmakers I spoke to already, because I've done about ten of these so far. Uh, before talking to you, and and that's one of the things that I enjoy most is that however ridiculous a film is, if you play it play it with a straight bat and make me believe that you're taking it seriously, then I can go with it because your characters characters aren't meant to know they're in a horror film, are they? Oh no, no, they don't, <laughs> they don't. And and well, like a great you know a great anecdote I can tell is is uh, you know when we were working on Reanimator the musical. Mm-hmm. Um, Stuart Gordon, you know, is, is, I mean, literally one of the masters of horror. And that's one thing that he always drove into us is he said, never play, you know, never play the ridiculousness of the situation. The situation itself is already ridiculous. So mm. you play it straight. You just focus on your objective, focus on what you, what your character wants, and then have all this crazy shit happen to you. And it's going to be funny because it's so absurd. You know, it's it's the, in, in, in the lines and written in the, you know, for us it was the songs. 
But I, you know, I think that's true for for the film reanimator as well. And why that works so well is that, you know, <laughs> that that the head giving head scene it wouldn't <laughs> it, it wouldn't work if David Gale weren't one hundred percent believable that he fucking wanted to get in between her legs, you know, and and totally. so yeah, it's 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 all about just being, you know, being true to the material and being true to the reality of the situation. Uh, you know, and, and then the beauty of horror is that then we get all this other crazy stuff that gets, you know, plopped down in the middle of it and causes havoc. Now, now, people who, 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 who might not know you as a director may well have seen your face. Certainly last year, Beyond the Gates um, sure. played, and I reviewed Almost Human for uh, Electric Sheep, if I remember rightly. Um, very good movie. Um Thanks. You're welcome. So, from from an acting point of view, making that transition to um, to director, which obviously is not that unusual these days at all. But what what do you what do you give to actors being an actor yourself once you're director, and what do you not let actors get away with that you know they want to get away with because you've been an actor? <laughs> Good question. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I found it really easy to to direct, um, you know, to, to direct actors having been an actor, you know, I just, I basically wanted to give them all all of the tools, um, and, uh, advantages that, that I like to get, you know, when I'm being directed, um, time to warm up to something, um, you know, the kind of, you know, there's ways to word direction that is different for every actor, honestly, but there's ways to word stuff that I think, actors like to hear more than more than others you know like for me for me i always you know instead of just being told i want you to be angry you know i would rather hear you know i want you to i want you to verbally pummel him you know give me something i can do not something i'm um, you know, and, and so I tried to, and obviously then that's my job, you know, if I don't get that, then it's my job to translate it into whatever I need, but it's always nice when someone's sort of, you know, speaking my language as it were. So, so then, you know, with, with, uh, you know, with, with my actors, one, I was fortunate that I had re- across the board, really amazing actors that, I mean, you know, most of the time nailed it without me ever having to tell them a word, but but then when I did give them adjustments, they were, it was so easy for them to, uh, you know, to shift and pivot and do what they needed to do. Um, you know, I didn't really have a lot of experience, honestly, like needing to tell, you know, needing to not let people get away with something. Mm. Um, well, I guess, you know, part of the, there was definitely a challenge in my film with some of the more, uh, shall we say, extreme um, weirdly erotic moments yeah. uh, that, <clears throat> that I think Chase has to go through that I think we were, you know, it's, it's always hard to stay in such an extreme mental headspace. And so, you know, that was definitely something that Chase and I worked on, um, you know, and, and mainly it was me working to be better at it, but just to be able to keep that sort of energy going. Cause that's a lot of energy. Um, yeah, because yeah. in your movie, you, 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 as, it, as it becomes more fractured and fragmented from a kind of traditional sort of li- linear narrative, I'm not, I'm, that's not just it's, non, it's, not, it's gone non-linear, but certainly 
you're not you're not you're not following. It doesn't feel like it's sequential, even though it will get there. You, yeah. you you begin to throw both your actors into almost like isolation, and it's like yeah. it's, it's almost like them versus the camera at some point each time. It's like they're not acting with each other at all. You're making them, you know, literally perform for your camera. Yeah, it's de- yeah, and and that's definitely tough. You know, as as an actor, whenever I've had to do that, you know, mm. you've got to you you've got to find a. Um, you know, you, you've always got to find a reason to do what you're doing, and mm-hmm. you've always got to uh, somehow find, you know, I guess a focal point, you know, for your mind of like, you know, it's it's like, it's it's like impossible to act. I'm mad at myself, you know, <laughs> like you can't <laughs> you can't do that, you know. But you can. It's certainly you can act that you're frustrated because somebody said that thing to you two days ago, you know. It's it's just a matter of of I think uh, kind of really dissecting it and figuring out, you know, what each character wants, why they want it, and and how they're going to get it. And I think that that was an approach that I took when I was writing the script, mm-hmm. um, you know, because like to me it, it always drives me crazy when characters do something that doesn't really make sense, you know, that that they wouldn't do in real life, um, you know, and and so for me it was really important uh, with all the characters in the story to really track you know, why they do what they do and make sure that everybody stayed true to, to who we had set them up to be. Um, you know, and e- even with, uh, with the character of, of the man, um, you know, who, uh, like you said, before we started talking, it's a, a kind of impossible to, yeah. to spoil, you know, things. It's more, you know, my, I feel like my movie is more of a visceral experience. Hmm. Um, but there's a character, uh, you know, of the man played uh, expertly by by this amazing actor Johnny Dynan, um, who you know he he sort of speaks in in these uh, sort of grand ways that don't always make a lot of sense um, at at first hearing. But the thing is, is like I, it was very important to me that you know he didn't just say random crazy stuff. That everything does make sense um, when spoken through the lens of how he needs to speak mm. and. and so my hope is that as people watch this movie over and over again, that they start to be able to dissect that because um, it's all in there, you know. I mean, same with like, you know, like you watch a David Lynch movie and you might not understand what the hell's going on, but you mm. know that David does and so you accept it. Well, like, I was going to say, so yeah, so one, one of my, I mean, I literally write this as a question in my review I've written about in your movie, that, that um, it's hard to pinpoint what your, I'm saying psychoanalytical point, you're making about gameplay with the more sensual body melding moments. Sure. And the only thing I've got so far, and this is what I, my hypothesis, you tell, you can, you can, you can tell me what you were thinking and how far off the, how far off the, uh, how far off the, the, I suppose I could interpret how I want, I suppose is one thing, but, oh, but, yeah. but, but it was what I thought you, what I thought some of the things you were saying were as, as, um, as Chase is, is sort of, you know, molesting the machine and stuff. Is this idea that to be good at video games is to be at one with video games and to literally melt into a game is is being the ultimate at one? Sure, yeah. Um, I, I think that's definitely, you know, one way to read that. I, you know, for, for me, what, what video games represent in this film um, mm. and... I think what they represent to me is overall, you know, whatever it is that is your, that, that is your passion, Mm. you know, whatever, you know, for some people, maybe it's, 
building train sets. For some people, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, making, you know, putting ships in bottles. I don't know. Some maybe it's for some maybe it's reading books. Yeah. But I think something where we can all get really obsessed with something that we love and that that's okay to be obsessed with something that we love so long as it doesn't uh, pull us away from, from you know, the rest of our life. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and about finding the balance in life to be able to have all those things, you know, that, 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 you know, I think that's what's important to me too. You know, video games for me are just, uh, they're, they're important to my life. And so it's something that I respond to. And I've always thought that, you know, joysticks and buttons and all that stuff that's, you know, that's on an arcade machine, especially it's also tactile, you mm. know, it's, it's, uh, it's all, um, you know, I'm actually, I'm looking at it. I, I own an arcade machine and I'm, I'm looking at it right now and it's so, it, it's, it's just sort of, uh, I don't, I don't know what exactly it is about it, but it's very, um, you know, it's something where, where you really can just, you know, take control of it. Um, versus, you know, maybe, a uh, a game where you're like sitting on your couch and you have, you know, a controller, you know, or like, like or like a pinball machine, right. You know, like, you no, no, totally. Or part of it is you have to manhandle this thing to, to get the ball to go where you want. I mean, that's inherently sort of sexual to me. My um, my my parents, when I was a kid, used to sort of laugh at me because I would be that immersed in what I was doing at the video game, and yeah. you know, legs kicking, lip, you know, tongue sticking out, and you don't know you're doing it while you're trying to, you know, beat the game. Sure. As it were. And that was a very real, you know, I was completely immersed. I was escaped. You have been listening to... The Brinflicks Fright Fest Preview Podcast. That was part one of two podcasts with me talking to Graham Skipper about Sequence Break. You can get part two very soon, or it's already available, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, from the same place you got part one. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.